Welcome to the Leadership Exposé podcast. This podcast is for purpose-driven leaders at diverse levels and organizations around the world who are seeking to scale and transform their leadership to level up their business and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business and boardroom topics, trends, innovation, transformation, and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host, Stephen Paul. In this episode, we meet Rob Woolen, the COO of DSG Finance. He has worked with organizations of all sizes from small IT training and design companies to universities and government departments employing thousands of staff. Rob was a topic expert member for the recently published NICE guidelines on mental well-being at work. Rob's mission is to make wellness a norm in the workplace, amongst other things. We will hear about this and how he's making a difference in the space. Rob, welcome. How are you doing today? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me on the, uh, the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Rob, uh, out of curiosity, where you where you based? So I'm in Manchester, UK, and I've, uh, I've been here most of my life. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, wellness is a uh, is a very strong topic these days. But before we actually dive into it, tell us about your personal and professional journey, the intersections. How did it all begin? Yeah, it, it kind of looks like the, the swirly background behind you, Stephen. So I left school and home uh, when I was 16 years old. Um, so I started my working life carrying bricks um, up and down ladders. And I found my way through the, the first 12 years of my career. I ended up in a construction management position. Um, with absolutely no management training, which is a, another story which actually has added a lot to my, my understanding of what well-being means. Um, at that, around about that time, I decided I was, I was sick of travelling up and down the country, so I, I thought I'll settle myself and I'll learn a new skill. So the new skill that I learned was personal fitness, and I became a personal trainer. And around about 2007, when we had the kind of financial rumblings, I thought maybe I need a plan B, maybe I need to pack a parachute. So my parachute was, was taking the fitness elements into the corporate market. And, and I guess that, that led me to do a master's degree in occupational wellbeing, which, which meant I, whilst I still focus on physical health, that there's, there's so much more that, that leads to being a good employer and, and helping people to be well. And, and here I found myself today. Interesting, interesting journey. So is, um, is your focus primarily on wellness? and everything associated with it? Yeah, so I joined DSG Finance two years ago. Um, I'd worked for myself in, in freelance work um, for most of my working life. So I've had clients like, you know, the, the sort of the giants of industry. And I decided a couple of years ago that I'd like to have a job. And DSG offered me a job. And at the time, they offered me a job as head of well-being. Um, so two years ago, that's what I did. But when I came into the organisation, the things that people maybe traditionally see as well-being, you know, fitness classes, yoga, mindfulness sessions, free fruit on a Friday, whatever it may be, they're great. But actually, I was looking at much more fundamental things that, that lead to creating a great work, a great workplace without kind of window dressing, mm -hmm. actually trying to create great work from the, from the ground up. So I found myself becoming involved in, in almost every aspect from pay scales to, to time off and how we treat people. So when I went for my annual review with the CEO last April, I'd prepared for the meeting and I started saying, you know, I've, I've been distracted from well-being. I've, I've been doing this and I've been doing that, but this is my plan to get back on track, boss. 
And he said, Rob, actually, I'd, I'd like you to continue to be distracted um, and, and to take up the role of COO. So mm. I have a wider remit now. Um, there's, there's almost nothing that I don't have some sort of element of, of, um, of helping. But it all begins with well-being. It all begins with creating great jobs for people. And, and, and the, the simple fact that we believe in so strongly at BSG, and it's, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm yeah. not pushing on a sticky door here. Um, we believe that you don't have to choose between being a good business and doing good business. We, we do both. So mm. they're very open to, to the fact that well-being underpins everything we do. Mm. So this is a very important topic to me as well, well-being. And there is definitely a misconception of uh, well-being in many organizations. And even with when I say organizations, it's with business leaders as well. So let's unpack what you just mentioned here. Um, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the meditation aspect, the yoga aspects, and those were the usual things associated with well-being, and they, they still are. But you mentioned that it's much more broader than that. So are there like the top three big components or things like that that you can associate well-being to in, in today's world in a business organization? Yeah, I think if I was looking for top three, I think people need to feel that they're heard and they're valued. Um, and that's something that, you know, we've just launched our, our new values, which is something I had a lot to do with. And one of those is everyone's included. And it's so important that everybody understands that we wouldn't be here without them in every single role they do. And I've, I've had many people say, oh, I'm just a this, or I'm, I'm just a cleaner. And I say, well, I'd like to see how we get on without you. You know, so I think that's number one is, is to, if you want a well workplace, people need to really believe that what they do matters mm -hmm. and that you hear them and see them. So, so visibility, I call it looking in the dark corners. You know, we often create interventions that, that suit the majority and, that, and that's fine. But who's in the dark corners? Who are we not reaching? Who are we not speaking to? And who doesn't think they're visible to us? So that'd be my number one. I guess my next one would be to make sure people have about what's expected of them and what they're what they're wanting to do you know we're in the process of scrapping our grievance and disciplinary procedure because it's not 1900 um, we're not the police we're not their parents and we're, we're not going to discipline people what we're going to do is give people clarity about the way that we would like them to expect to, to behave and what we offer in return for that we'll listen to them and see if they feel that's reasonable and we'll come to a, a, a grown-up agreement about what, what we're doing. And then we'll remind people of that. And we've still got to comply with, with codes of conduct. We've still got to make sure we, we're legally compliant. So we're always going to protect you know, the business and the people by doing that. But for me, that's about transparency. What is it we're asking you to do? Is it clear to you? Do you understand? And also, is it clear what we're offering? You know, mm -hmm. Is there a clear progression route? Is there, is there clarity? I, I employed um, one person and I said, look, I see there being probably a three to five year life cycle in this job because you're going to grow and there'll come a point when actually we don't have anything beyond that for you and that's okay let's be honest about it let's let's get this on the table now let's give you a great three to five years that, that, that give value to you give value to us and accept that probably at that point in time you'll outgrow this role because it's a very specialist role and it's a very small part of the organization and um, he's, he's our esg coordinator so adding that clarity and that honesty is, is really really essential and I think the final one, you know, we, we can't do well-being. You can give people transparency, you can give people a sense of value, but we can't do well-being if we're not considering the what-if. What if it goes wrong? 
you know, yeah. because even if we create a perfect work environment, and we're not, by the way, you know, we know we've got work to do at DSG, but even if we did, there are external factors that affect people's well-being. So how can we use our buying power, our size, our ability to, to support people, to, to ensure that they have adequate, competent, professional support as and when it's needed? And I guess if I had to kind of tie up three things, they're probably the three things that, that, that lead to well-being, way more than a, a yoga mat on the floor. Yeah, it, it, it is such a powerful powerful way of describing it the, the three three big components and and you associate that with the priorities of an organization you embed that into an organization you actually then start seeing the outcomes of well-being related to your profitability and related to the values of the organization the mission of the organization and and so forth uh, now that that that's very very helpful so Rob, you've you've had multiple roles. Um, you're an expert in your area. If I was a business or a individual looking to leverage your expertise or your solution or your leadership, um, how would a conversation between uh, you and I sound like? Well, I guess Stephen, I'd probably have to to let them into the big secret because the big <laughs> secret is I don't know <laughs> anything. I don't know anything. I just ask people questions and I listen to their responses because, yeah, I mean, I've studied well-being. I've got a master's degree. I've done all these qualifications. But actually, when I want to understand an individual's experience of their workplace, the only expert in that is them. So whilst, I, you know, you, you get this title of topic expert member on these committees, I hate the word expert because I'm not. And yeah. um, I think everyone is the expert themselves. And by asking people and listening. Um, you know, we, we just, like I say, we, we've just launched these four values. It's something I really wanted to do when I came into the company and COVID really stopped us getting together as a senior leadership team to, to discuss what these things meant to us. But after we'd tried to encapsulate them, before we launched them, we spent days going around our people. We've only got 225 colleagues. We spent a good solid day going around to people, sharing with them what we thought these values might look like and asking them and getting their stories. And then when we launched them, we spent eight hours and the CEO came out for every single launch for every eight hour, eight, 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 one hour session. And we said to people, look, here are the values. What do they mean to you? And he said to me, well, we are learning so much about our people by giving them the ability to tell us the story. And we're not imposing these values on them. Yeah. We're hearing them. And yes, we've got a steer and yes, we've told them what we think it means to us, but you can't do it to people. You do it with them. So, that is the big secret. The big secret is we don't have to know everything. Yeah. We don't need to know everything. Yeah. And we need to accept that we don't and listen. Yeah. And it's the conversations, right? It's it's those constructive conversations at diverse levels that would enable you to even effect change on on on, on this particular topic, but also to listen through those conversations. I, I'm fully aligned with what you're saying, Rob. Um, let's let's hear about you. I mean, you know, you you mentioned about your journey, and um, you know, obviously some of the uh, some of the achievements there. But is there any story or an experience that you can share that uh, that comes to your mind, either in your current role or previous role, that has resulted in a highly positive outcome that has impacted maybe people? 
Well, I mean, from a, from a personal level, if you look at my own story, um, because I knew that I had to, to leave home when I was 16, um, I, I don't attribute any fault either side. It wasn't working with me and my parents, so we needed to be in a def different place. And, and we love each other now, it's great, but we, we had a moment where we needed to, to not be together. Um, I was going to join the army. Mm. And the army said no to me because of a history of asthma. Now, at the time, I was broken-hearted. But now I get to, I've done a parachute jump, um, I've, I've, get, I've been able to challenge myself in some of those ways that, that I guess I was excited about doing. But I've had the added benefit that nobody's trying to kill me while I'm doing that. So, you know, not getting into the army then, I'm really glad now. You know, I, I can look back on that. And I think the essence of that story is that, you know, I talk to people now about, about their careers. Um, I was talking to a colleague the other day who we asked to do a, a new job. Um, she's quite a young colleague. It was a, a job that had a really high career trajectory. And in the end, she, was, she wasn't sure if she wanted to take that role or a safer, more comfortable route. Uh, and I said, look, one thing you need to know about this, it doesn't matter, right? In 10 years time, you're gonna do well. I know you are because you've got the potential, you've, you're intelligent, you're hardworking, whichever way you choose now, it's not gonna influence your whole life. And I guess that's the, the crucial story that comes from my life. I've changed careers entirely. I've gone from a completely different sector and now I find myself in a role that I never thought I'd be in. But the way I got here was that whatever I do, I try my absolute best. Mm. And, I, and I try to make value, whether I'm sweeping a floor, picking tomatoes, emptying bins, I've done those jobs. Mm. Um, or if I'm standing in front of 200 people trying to excite them about a mission. Mm. I think if people understood that whilst individual decisions are important, the overall focus on, on achieving something positive in all situations mm. is what leads to resilience. Mm. I think if I could tell my younger self now, those, those things that actually don't sweat every single decision, mm. make a decision, buy into it, move forward. And if you need to learn from it, you'll need to learn from it. And that's okay. You still won. Mm. That, that would be the crucial point that I'd make, I suppose. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that mindset of people plays a big part in all of this i do i think we had an example this week where um there was a an awareness day that came up on on linkedin i became aware of it and i sent the, the message to one of my team saying look let's do something about this awareness day let's let's be part of this and the response i got back initially was well you know we haven't really got time it, it starts today it was, it was yesterday this, this message went out and, and i think the mindset we need to have is, okay, well, what we can't do is some huge, huge thing. Mm. But we can do something. So yeah. let's do something. So it's yeah. always taking some form of positive action. Yeah. Um, and that is a mindset thing. It's, it's, it's not blind, um, sort of blind optimism. Mm. It's realistic, positive feeling about something. I think that's the big difference. You don't have to be a blind optimist. And as a business, yeah. whilst we care about people and listen to people and we want to support people, it doesn't mean we just bend over to everybody's will at every single stage, but it means that we listen and see, can we, can we do yeah. this? Um, you know, take flexible working. We, we offered everybody in the company flexible working after COVID. And, you know, there, there are people who, I know people who in the discussions that people have had, not just in my company, but in the sort of the, the world of operations and HR, I said, what, what if you offer everyone um, flexible working and they all take it and they all laugh? And I said, what if they don't? You know, we're only asking. We're not saying we'll give it to someone. We're just asking, what would you like? And you mm. know what? It worked out as a nice balanced route. P people often ask, I was at a conference talking uh, last week and people were talking about, you know, 
how do we measure the return on investment in well-being? And I said, well, sometimes, you know, how do we, how do we think about the return on underinvestment? You know, mm. what if we don't? And I think that's a really important point to make. Sometimes people get too concerned in, in the what if, yeah. but they don't look at the what if we don't do something. What if we try and just stand still or, or even worse, go backwards? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a hard sell, right? There are people who are so logical minded and so black and white uh, without really understanding the underlying effects of, you know, the broader topic of well-being. Um, but it has got an impact in the value chain of a company's performance. Absolutely. The people and people ultimately, have, you know, contribute towards the uh every domain of of that particular organization in order to serve the mission and the customer and so forth so you're not taking care of your people um and how you actually formulate it then you have a bit of an issue there so uh it's very good that you're you're bringing this topic here but aside from this is are there any other topics or trends on your mind uh that you feel impact people businesses and so forth that you want to share briefly? I think if, if I was considering things that I've learned maybe since I came here, so you know, I've, I've worked with, like I say, huge organizations with high levels of professionals. I'm now in an environment where half of the people are kind of call center-based. Um, their work is very queue-based, you know, so it's very hard to get people a way to do self-development and work on themselves because you know we run lean as, as organizations do these days. I think the the there's a lesson that I learned. So I came here and because of the difficulty getting people away from, um, from the desks, because they're on a queue, and if they leave the desk, the queue gets longer. And it's, it's quite the kind of task oriented, small task work that, that a lot of our people are doing. Because of that, um, there'd been, a, I guess, a, a difficulty in training people. It's hard to get people to go away for training. So I actually brought something from construction. And this is why our yesterdays, always have something to teach us about our futures because in construction we used to do these things called toolbox talks which were 15 minutes of bite-sized learning and in those days it was kind of safety so that would be abrasive wheels it'd be gloves it'd be wearing your eye protection falls from height these would be the, the subjects that we cover in 15 minutes well we've started doing that here but now it's not abrasive wheels and gloves it's um general data protection regulations and uh, how to how to correctly inform the customer but the things we've taken we've, we've taken that idea of bite-sized learning um, from construction into a field that it probably never existed in before mm. and, and i guess what that's taught me is that there's always something to learn from our past you know there's always something really valuable that we can pick up on um, and take into a new domain yeah amazing uh, rob what does a day in the life of rob look like these days morning to evening <laughs> Well, well, um, I'm a family man, so the first part of the day is, is getting my, my children, my children are six and eight, so getting them ready and out the door is it's probably the biggest battle of my day, um, but we, we manage it, and I get them into school, and then come into our offices, I, I work from the office and most days, um, which is about five miles from my house, so um, on a Monday, I bring my shirts in, and then on a Tuesday to Friday, um, weather permitting, I cycle in, so that's a, a nice couple of minutes just to think about the day ahead. Um, I come into to work and I still deal with the people issues. I do have a, a six-person team now who look after the people side day to day, but I'm making the strategic decisions on on pensions or, or those types of things with people. I then have a some days a really packed diary. Um, 
and I'm looking at the moment to, to try and focus on, on, on doing a few things really well rather than trying to do everything not particularly well. So we've just done the values launch, that's great. I've now got a department that I'm looking to improve the efficiency of because I can see a lot of ways that, that by sitting with people. And also as in this role as COO, I get to zoom out and look at all the areas of the business and how they fit together. Whereas the current department heads, you know, will always go with their own agenda, with their own parts of the business to, to focus on. So I'm starting to look at where I can make efficiencies by kind of joining people up um, and in a way, just getting people to talk. Um, so I've got my pet projects. Um, so they're the things that I'm working on in terms of, of, of trying to make a, a big difference in certain ways. And then, you know, there are call after call where it's just um, that there's some, some input needed from me. So that's a day in the life. Wonderful. Uh, we're coming to a clo close very shortly, Rob. Any closing messages or a challenge to other leaders that you want to highlight here? I think my challenge to any business leader who is asking themselves whether they should do something to look after people mm. is what if you don't? You know, we've got an approach here to what we call in the UK reasonable adjustments. And so uh, they're required by law if somebody has a disability. And the first stage in assessing a reasonable adjustment is to, to decide if somebody is covered by that disability regulation. Well, my question is, if you're asking if somebody's covered, what you're effectively saying is, we could help them, but do we have to? Well, why don't we just cut that stage out? Mm -hmm. You can help somebody, and it's not detrimental to the business, then do it. And if it was detrimental to the business, then you wouldn't be required to do it anyway, because it's called a reasonable adjustment. So I guess, I guess the, the, the challenge to other businesses is put people first, um, where you're thinking maybe you shouldn't or worrying about the consequences of doing so, and, and have some trust in them. Because if you're so worried about giving people some power and some authority and some ability to do things that way, maybe you've just got the wrong people. Mm. That's my challenge. Thank you, Rob, for your insights and for your challenge to other leaders. Um, thank you. Well, thanks very much. It's been really, really nice talking to you. Excellent. Okay, folks, uh, thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode on where we hear from the CEO of a new digital bank that's just launched recently and how they are creating value for a certain customer segment. Stay tuned for our next episode on this and continue to stay on to hear about an exclusive offer for you. Hey, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You're now seeing this part of the video also because you consume some of my content, insights and teachings. Maybe you've been to my LinkedIn page or website or seen other social media ads or listened to my podcast. I'm Stephen Paul, a business and transformational executive coach, strategic advisor, leader and board member. I've been in diverse roles, corporate executive, entrepreneur and worked with businesses and firms of all sizes, built and launched businesses created high impact boards and so forth in four continents. I get it. I've been there, done that. But what is different is I bring a unique perspective and a playbook. I've helped 100 plus business leaders just like you to scale and align their leadership top teams, the board and overall business for growth. Leaders like Ivana from medium sized company in the EU who grew 150% and expanded globally in under five months. After she started to work with me over facilitated sessions in an initial three days, I helped 
fine-tune their strategy and align their leadership team and board to be a cohesive driving force to achieve their dreams and outcomes. I want to teach you the same thing and more on how to scale and align your leadership team and board so you can increase your business growth and value. Get clarity on what is the next right strategy for you. There are multiple ways we can work with you. Number one, click the link for a free non-obligatory 60-minute initial strategic session. Let's get a feel for your dreams, your vision, your challenges, and let me convert that into a route map for you where we can co-develop and co-pilot. Number two, enroll in an innovative and intuitive digital online course that I have curated, created to help you transform. It's called Unshakable Resilience. It is the ultimate program for individuals and business leaders like you who want to be equipped at a personal and professional level to respond to any form of challenges or in crisis situations and take on opportunities with grit, resilience, and build a mindset of success. In essence, you want to be unshakable, thrive in crisis, take on opportunities in the face of adversity, and build a success mindset. So click the link below to learn more on how I can personally help you individually and your firm to scale and align your leadership team and business and pivot in a transformational way. And for you to experience this, whatever the challenge you're facing, get in touch with me. Let's discuss and I will share my insight rapidly to enable your transformation. Click the links below.